Hello, and welcome to the Healthcare Podcast, brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Maggie Shin. Look up the word healthy in your search engine, and you'll find all kinds of results related to diet, exercise, weight management, stress-free living, and more. But how can we understand what is truly healthy? Joining us today to talk about understanding health and that ubiquitous adjective healthy is Dr. Jose Medina Inahosa, Preventative Cardiology Senior Research Fellow at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester. Dr. Medina Inahosa is a leader in the field of preventative cardiology and prevention of coronary artery disease, heart failure, and obesity. Welcome, Dr. Medina Inahosa. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. So, doctor, you went to medical school in Venezuela and have since focused on preventative health care and cardiology. Did you see the same or different heart and health issues in Venezuela that you do in the States now? And why do you think that is? So, um, that's a very good question. Uh, I, I saw very similar heart disease uh, prevalence between in my practice in Venezuela and my practice here in the U.S., uh, what is could be considered as different will be the risk factors and uh, that are causing them. Uh, I could see that in in the U.S. there's different dietary patterns compared to the majority of the co- uh, countries in the world, and there's a different physical activity pattern that have both been linked to a higher prevalence of obesity and subsequent heart disease. Let's talk about that. What are some of the different risk factors and dietary differences that you see in the states causing obesity here? Okay. So um, this could also be linked to what is the prescription of healthy, as you were saying in the introduction. Um, There's, um, without considering them as as different, the main factors that are going to be linked to heart disease are going to be first sedentary time, and we will like our patients and everybody to do at least 150 minutes a week of physical activity, uh, cardiovascular physical activity, that, the, that physical activity that makes you sweat is how we define it. Combined with once or twice of doing some sort of strength training. So physical inactivity and sedentary time are going to be two different things. First, we're going to have, again, have our patients actually do workout. And the second intervention related to that is having our patients and our everybody sit less, move more, and try to be more active outside of just the time you develop workout during your week. That, for physical inactivity, is the first main factor and intervention. The other most important one is smoking. Uh, even though that for many reasons, smoking worldwide smoking rates worldwide are going down smoking rates are still uh, of some trouble and one of the most important interventions that you could do is stop smoking cessation and for that the majority of people need help from a doctor and a healthcare professional to help them out through that path the other um, risk factor will be diet and that is a very a very stand subject that we can also discuss and with time, you will. The other factor will be for you to need the need for you to see a doctor 
after a certain age, you gotta establish a relationship with a primary care provider that will guide you to, towards your preventative goals for primary prevention and also secondary prevention, where that is defined as when you are already sick and you need help preventing that disease to get worse. So you say that there's a cultural shift of people trying to understand what it means to be healthy. Do you think that our culture understands those things that you just said? And if not, how do we get that message out there? Well, for starters, uh, I don't think nobody really understands the truth or 100% of the truth of uh what is to be healthy and what is to for at least for the diet at least for the dietary pattern we have a lot of scientific evidence that is given that we are using as a guide but we are not completely sure of what is the best recipe or prescription but we try to do our best based on 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 what what is evidence out there i do see um a pattern and you might experience it among friends, colleagues, or family, and just in in the market as general, people are trying to be healthier and in towards exercise. People are trying to be, uh, smoking is more and more frowned upon. The friend, if you have a friend in your group that smokes, not it's not you don't allow him to smoke or around you or people are just uh, trying to intervene and say this is not really good so it's well known that smoking is bad for you um towards the dietary patterns you see that healthier um foods are infiltrating our supermarkets healthy healthy supermarkets or quote quote unquote healthy supermarkets are around more and more people are googling and trying to learn what is the best way to eat they're trying to understand what is food that causes heart disease and what are foods that cause obesity and what is foods that are good in general to prevent longevity. It's a trend that is, you need a lot of help from a professional, from education to understand what is the best out there and what is the best that suits your needs. It's also, it always has to be individualized, but I do feel that we are going in the right direction and we could definitely improve. So you say more people are trying to to understand this, as you just said. How do we ensure that people get the correct information? I I know one of your passions is patient needs combined with research and education. How do we get the correct information out to them? Well, the best source will be to consult licensed professionals, uh, starting from doctors to dietitians to physical uh, trainers that have the, the right amount of documentation and that you know that they're a solid source. And right now with social media, it's a great source for information, but you always have to check on that source, what's the validity of it, what are the credentials of the person that is giving you that source and does it make sense when you compare it to other people we're in an era that it's easy to create a guru where the person just voices out what they think is best without that being evidence-based and i don't think that's correct you gotta consult like a professional and got have to make those professionals uh should make available the sources and and explain to you why 
are they prescribing, what they're prescribing, and where is their advice coming from? So let's talk about central obesity for a second and how that helps assess cardiovascular risk. Explain to me what central obesity means and what we can do about it. Okay. So uh, I'm going to take a step back before I explain that. I'm going to explain what is the current tools that we have for body composition assessment. And again, for overall health, the conception for years has, has been of weight change. People prescribe weight loss, prescribe weight gain, ask you to do weight loss. And that is based because the tool, the most common tool used for that is the body mass index which is a simple equation that divides your weight over and your height. And that has been there and it's useful for clinical practice and it's in all over our guidelines for our, uh, our management or our patients. But it it's simplifies a very complex measure that is body composition that is more than weight. Your body composition, it's, it's based out of your the weight of your muscles, the weight of your organs, the weight of your fat, so the prescription is a little bit more complicated. Now to measure fat and muscle is, you need a special equipment that is not available in every clinical setting. So an additional tool that has been added to the guidelines for the majority of the obesity categories has been the measure of central obesity, which is a surrogate marker for the fat in your belly and more importantly, the, the fat around your organs of in your abdomen, which is, has very bad consequences of cardiovascular health. So the World Health Organization and many other organizations have done the studies over the year where, where they've seen that measuring your belly or having a ratio between your belly and your hips, that number is a better predictor of cardiovascular health, cardiovascular events in many, many settings. So in a recent study that my group did, that I leaded and I had presented in the European Congress of Preventive Cardiology that was in Slovenia this year, with some data from Olmsted County, Minnesota, where the, is where the Mayo Clinic is located. It's a special epidemiology setting that allows us to do uh, research and understand how this or conclusions might affect the nation. And we looked at what happened if we combined those categories of uh, body mass index, which are in the majority of the cases, normal weight, overweight, and obese, what happened if you combine them with the categories of central obesity or no central obesity? Surprisingly, in the first study that was done this with this type of combination, where that was also done with my group, it was a surprise to them that the persons that had normal weight but an elevated central obesity had the worst risk for mortality and cardiovascular mortality. In our study, we looked here in Olmsted County, Minnesota, we looked at we looked at a little bit more, uh, a bigger outcome, which was a step beyond mortality. It was what was your likelihood of having a myocardial infarction or a stroke or being administered in the hospital for other cardiovascular reasons. And we here also found that those subjects that had a normal weight with central obesity 
had the highest risk of cardiovascular events, even when you compare them with the obese with the obese population, highlighting the importance of a person to focus on waste loss rather than weight loss. That's really interesting. So do we know what the primary causes of central obesity are? What we've seen in many, many studies is that the primary cause of central obesity is going to be first sedentary time, time you spend sitting down, and time you spend away from doing physical activity. Okay, And the other main cause is going to be the, your diet, mainly the consumption of refined carbohydrates, sugar, which unfortunately, at least in the the United States is in the majority of the foods that we cons- that we consume. Those are the main determinants. Now, usually when a person is sedentary and has a bad diet, it could be also that that person is hypertensive. It could be also that that person is diabetic because those are factors that are leading to that. It could also be that that person is a smoker and it makes the whole picture worse. But the main two determinants will be of central obesity be the sedentary time and what we could call a bad quality diet. How do we change those things, doctor? It sounds like fads and temporary lifestyle changes don't go anywhere in terms of getting healthy. Is that fair? And if so, how can we achieve sustainable long-term changes toward a healthy lifestyle? I think the first step is doing as little as you can. It's always better to spend five minutes in the treadmill or 10 minutes walking outside than not going at all because you don't have time. So little by little is one of the main changes. The other one will be education, seeking out good sources, seeking out good organizations or, or, or providers that will give you the good advice. The other one is understanding that those advices need to be personalized in the majority of cases. You can't use the prescription that your spouse or friend got for weight for weight change or for waist change. You got to understand that those have to be individualized depending on how severe the problem is and that's where our primary care providers will help us a lot on figuring out who needs a specialized help or who could need just a simple prescription. Now it is uh, complicated to have sustainable changes, but motivation is one of them. And again, starting little by little and doing as best as you can and and ha- try to step, stay motivated and try to change your surroundings and the people around you. Try to motivate those around you so you can keep that change sustained over time. Stay away for those diets or those uh, prescriptions that will say, I will make you lose 20 pounds in two weeks because it's, it's very likely that it's going to make you gain those 20 pounds and more. We've seen that success in body compositions changes, weight loss and waist loss, are when the person is a gradual change that is more sustainable. The same with physical activity. You don't, your goal is not to run a marathon, even though it will be something that you want to do. Your goal is staying active, your goal is moving more, and if you start 
over-exercising the first day you want to make a change, you're, you're likely to get hurt, be in pain, and not be able to sustain that change over time. So again, the first, first step is getting the motivation. The other one will be to make sure that you stay, uh, that you start little by little and always try to consult a professional that will help you and guide you what will be the best avenue for you to follow. Okay, those are great recommendations. Um, let's just touch on diet for a moment again. What do you say to someone that says, I don't know where to start. I don't know what to cut out first. Where do you start in terms of dietary changes when trying to go toward a long-term lifestyle change? My first advice will be to consult a dietitian because an, or, a health, or an, a healthcare professional because we will have the tools, our team will have the tools to understand what is really what the person is consuming. We have questionnaires and we have assessments where we actually take a look at what is your macro micronutrient intake and what is your overall body composition. We need to know what your lipids are, what your blood pressure is, what is your waist measurement, what is your hip measurement, what is the amount of physical activity that you're doing. So it's more than getting on a scale. So we need this, and obesity is more than just the number on the scale. Uh, even though the majority of the time when you're super heavy, all the other conditions are going to be lumped into that, we need to know what are your, what is your current status so we can prescribe on that. Now, the first, after that being said, general prescription will be stay away from refined carbohydrates. If it's not, try to understand that if it's made by men, you got to you gotta stay away from it. If it's made by nature, then you might want to eat it because it should be, it, it, the majority of the cases, it will be healthy. Uh, another important thing to understand is to limit your sugar intake. And the main sources of sugar here in the U.S. will be um, candies and and just everything. The, a good amount of the foods in the store are gonna have added sugar that we need to stay away from. It's uh, important for us to understand how to read labels and how to choose the right amount, the correct foods in the supermarket. You might need some help understanding that uh, that, and that's why I always say you need to start the first step is start to go to a dietitian or other health care professionals that are trained to uh, teach you how to do that. Fantastic. What does our future look like for us, doctor? Um, are you optimistic that we as a society can make these changes toward a healthier lifestyle overall? Yeah. Well, that's a, that. this is going to be a very biased answer. More than what is the future, what I, what I wish is the future, right? It's how I'm going to answer. I think we need to understand as a society that the more we make healthy choices, the more the food industry is going to have to follow that. If we don't buy on, if we understand what is an unhealthy food and we don't buy it, the whole food industry is going to have to shift over and try to provide with health, us with healthy choices and you see that little by little that is happening it's included with marketing and all this uh, stuff to still make it appealing to us but we see that little by little that, that is happening 
we have to, from our side, from the healthcare professionals, we need, to, and the, and actually we legislators, we need to push on education and try to explain what are their actual recommendations for the whole population so they understand why it's important to eat fruits, why it's important to not have sugar, why it's important to not eat so much bread, and why it's important to move. So I think it's a, it's a matter of educating what we know, try to research what we don't know so we can improve and have always individualized prescriptions and little by little try to change people around us as we do more healthy things. It might be simpler for the people around us to try to imitate and try to see, hey, why is this person walking up the stairs? Why is this person wanting me to have a walking meeting? Why I, and try to share the good word when you know what it is. Thank you, Dr. Medina Inahosa, for coming on today. And thank you, everyone, for listening to today's healthcare podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can go to marketscale.com slash industries and subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries. I'm your host, Maggie Shin. See you next time. <laughs>